Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This podcast contains descriptions of violence and murder. Rosalind O'Kane's body was found in a burning flat in Clifton Park Avenue, North Belfast. It was the 17th of September, 1976. Rosalind was 33 years old. She had suffered a fractured skull. Her killer, or killers, stripped her and set her body on fire before starting another fire to try and cover up their crime. No one has ever been charged. No one has ever been convicted. The RUC didn't investigate the killing. They even told Rosing's family that her murder might have had something to do with black magic. This is the big, gaping black hole in the middle of this story, is why didn't the police investigate? To make matters worse, not only did they not really investigate it with any kind of vigour, they tried to fob the family off by suggesting to them that there had been some sort of element of black magic. The family believe it was a sectarian murder carried out by loyalists and that it was covered up. The police were made aware of three suspects in the case and none of them were spoken to, not even informally questioned. He said he wouldn't be surprised if this kind of crime had been carried out by someone who was an intelligence asset to the IUC at the time um, and it was therefore ignored to preserve that person and their usefulness to the IUC at the time. Joining me to tell Rosalind's story is The Sunday Life's John Toner. John, well, first of all, you're very welcome to Thank the Bell you. Tale. John, whenever we deal with one of these historic cases, and whenever we deal with these kind of tragedies, I think it is very, very important to remember the victim, to remember the person who lost their lives, and to remember their family. So can we begin with that person? And that person is Rosalind O'Kane. What can you tell me about Rosalind the person? 
Well, Rosaline was a 33-year-old single woman living in North Belfast, much loved by her family. Uh, in fact, revered by her siblings. She was somewhat of a matriarchal figure, uh, did a lot of the sort of traditional parenting jobs uh, w- with, her, with her siblings. And yeah, so she was a very well-thought-of young woman in the North Belfast area. And, and yeah, she was, you know, uh, a very typical young woman living in 70s Belfast, enjoying her life, um, putting up with all the uh, atmosphere and goings-on that Belfast had to offer at that time. But yeah, she, she was, to all intents and purposes, a normal young woman living her life in 70s Belfast. Now, you've been working on this story for some time now, John, and uh, I mean, you've been in contact with the family, you've been in contact with other people. So, Rosalind's living by herself in this flat uh, in, the, in the Clifton Park Avenue area of North Belfast. What happened to her? Well, in the early hours of September 17, 1976, her body was discovered in her flat. She, uh, she had been stripped naked and unfortunately set alight uh, and had sustained a fracture to her skull. Uh, yeah, I think it's important to look at where she was living at the time because it was an interface area, Clifton Park Avenue at the time, and that was immediately uh, an area of suspicion for her family. They they wondered about whether that might have, might have played a role in, in what had happened to her. But yes, so her body was discovered in the flat with no, uh, no apparent motive, um, and it seemed to all intents and purposes that there was going to be a huge police investigation to find out who had murdered this young woman. Well, let's look at what we know. Uh, Rosalind's remains were found in her flat. She was naked. She had suffered a fractured skull. Somehow, a fire had been started on her body. Is there any chance that uh, she may have died as a result of the fire? It doesn't appear to be so, because following post-mortem examination it was discovered that Rosaline did not have smoke in her lungs. Now, that this would usually indicate in this kind of instance that the, the person was deceased before the fire was set. Uh, so yeah, that, that piece of evidence seems to point very clearly to her being deceased before the, the, the two fires, because there was not just one, but two fires set in her flat before those were, were set alight. She, she was dead. No, anyone listening to this would assume that given the situation in which Rosalind's body was found, it was on an interface area, two fires had been started in her flat, that this seems very much like a murder. She's, she obviously had a serious head injury. That the, that the police, even in the circumstances of 1976, in which the, the, the worst of the, trouble, the troubles had passed, but the troubles were still very, very serious, especially in that area. Mm. One would as- assume that they took this very, very seriously indeed. You, you would assume that, yes, uh, but unfortunately that is not what happened in this case. Uh, this is the big gaping black hole in the middle of this story is why didn't the police investigate? Because at the time, they made very little to no effort to discover what happened to Rosalina O'Kane. And we don't know why. We simply don't know why, because the PSNI is yet to conduct any kind of formal inquiry, internal inquiry into this. Uh, judicial review was brought by the O'Kane family into the handling of this case by the RUC, then subsequently PSNI. And 
that ruling was very recently handed down uh, earlier this year in which the judge was scathing about police attempts or lack of attempts to investigate this crime, um, labelling it shocking, uh, which is quite strong language for, for a High Court judge to use. And yeah, and hopefully the outworking of that judicial review is that the PSNI look more closely into this and eventually come to the end of it and get and get to a point where they can provide some sort of closure to the O'Kane family on what happened to Rosaline and why the case was not properly investigated at the time. What did the RUC say at the time to the O'Kane family? What was their explanation? What was their theory at the time? Well, they didn't really have much of a theory, to be honest, uh, because they had no interest in in looking into the case, looking at it from the outside, because nobody was questioned, very, very little follow-up inquiries were made, uh, they weren't very responsive to the O'Kane family. It just seemed like they weren't that interested. It, it, it gave the impression to the family that it was just just another Catholic woman who'd been found dead and they weren't that interested in looking into it. And to go even further than that, uh, to make matters worse, not only did they not really investigate it with any kind of vigour, they tried to fob the family off by suggesting to them that there had been some sort of element of black magic which might have been involved in the murder, which... You know, looking at it in 2023, it really kind of boggled my mind when I came across it. I couldn't believe that that was something that the that an officer would say. Black magic, devil worshippers, the occult or something, that yeah. this had gone on in a flat in North Belfast and that somehow the some sort of human sacrifice or something. Is that, is that what they actually tried to tell the family? Yes, yes. I, I, um, I spoke to Rosaline's surviving sister, Kathleen, recently, and she told me that she vividly remembered having a conversation with an IUC officer uh, who said to her, oh, you know, maybe it was black magic or something, and uh, gave this very flippant, uh, obviously ridiculous uh, excuse for what might have happened to her sister. Um, and she was obviously flabbergasted at the time and, and, con- and continues to be stunned by that attitude at the time and then the attitude of, of police since then. And did the family have any theory as to why such a ridiculous opinion was given or why no real effort was made to investigate this crime? No one was questioned, no one was charged. They they don't have sort of a concrete theory, but the, the impression I got from the family was that they feel that there was a sectarian element to the police handling of the murder, i.e. she was a young Catholic woman and therefore they weren't that bothered. Uh, that's the family's feeling of it. Uh, I, I can't say whether or not that is the case. There's no kind of... Uh, you know, there's no report or anything that points to to sectarianism being involved, but that's the way the family feel, and that's certainly the way that relatives for justice uh, feel about it, who've been working closely with the family. Uh, I spoke to them in the course of working on this story, and uh, Mike Ritchie from Relatives for Justice very kindly took the time to speak to me, and he certainly was unequivocal. He felt that there should be an inquiry similar to the Stephen Lawrence inquiry in the Metropolitan Police uh, over this case because he feels that there are certain institutional attitudes or behaviours uh, or sectarianism that might have influenced the outcome of this case, i.e. Uh, you know, a kind of an embedded institutionalised sectarianism may have been partly responsible for the failure to investigate the crime. And despite this black magic um, theory, rumour, whatever, it has emerged that the police did consider it a murder in the end. 
I mean, they, they, they did consider it a murder. Yes, yeah, it was it was classified as a as a as an unsolved killing or as a murder. Yeah, um, and it just it just sat there, un, uninvestigated, unprobed. Have there been any developments since 1976? Well, very little concrete developments since since 1976. I should say, at the time, the police were made aware of three suspects in the case, and none of them were spoken to. Not even informally questioned, not, the, not let alone arrested or interviewed under caution. They, they were never spoken to. One of those men has uh, since died. So, we know, But there are still two surviving suspects that police are aware of who still haven't been questioned. Do they, do those, either of those individuals, do they have any paramilitary links? Or did not, they have any paramilitary links? Not that we're aware of. Um, and these two surviving individuals, would they be aware that they're suspects? Because if they've never been questioned, maybe they're completely unaware that, that, that suspicion fell on them. That is quite possible, yes. They, they, they could be have left the last half a century blissfully unaware uh, that they are suspects in a, in a murder case. It's difficult to know, really. You have been speaking to the family. I mean, they have their own theories about this. Who do the family think have done this? They don't know. They have no obvious uh, potential suspects or people that they think of who would have wanted to cause Rosaline harm. So they, they are still mystified half a century later as to why anyone would have wanted to do this to Rosaline, let alone who might have done. The only the only motivation that they seem to be suspicious about is that they, you know, they think given the, the area and given the context of the time and what had been going on around about that time with several other uh, loyalist groups, that it is possible that there, that there was a loyalist paramilitary involvement and or sectarian element to her murder. But there's no, we don't have any concrete evidence for that. That's, that's the family's feeling, given the context and you know, everything else. And beyond loyalist paramilitaries in the area, mm-hmm. uh, there were two notorious gangs mm-hmm. in the wider area in terms of loyalism. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so the, the two, two gangs that were operating in that, the, roughly that kind of area at the time were the notorious Shankill Butchers, which I'm sure don't need much of an introduction but uh, for those who don't know uh, a notorious gang of loyalist paramilitary murderers who tortured and killed uh, a host of people throughout the troubles uh, in in a very gruesome way so uh, that's one group that suspicion fell upon and whilst looking down that avenue uh, I contacted a very well respected author and journalist called Martin Dillon who has wrote Written a uh, written a book about the Shankill Butchers and is somewhat of an authority on them. Anyway, we discussed the case, and I wanted to find out if he had ever come across any potential, you know, overlap between these two. Was there any potential involvement by the Shankill Butchers in this murder? And he, you know, he unfortunately was able to come up with nothing. You know, we, he had never come across any link between that group and the murder of Rosalind. Okay, now they were operational in the area at the time, but that's as far as connecting them to this crime goes. Did Martin Dillon, and and as you say, who's an acclaimed investigative journalist, uh, did he have any theory as to why the RUC practically ignored this murder? Yes, yes. He... Uh, it was a supposition um, just based on his opinion rather than any any evidence, I, I should point out at the time. But what he said to me, which I thought was very interesting, was that he would 
be fascinated to know whether or not any of the suspects in this case were intelligence assets in any way, because he said he wouldn't be surprised if this kind of crime had been carried out by someone who was an intelligence asset to the IUC at the time, um, and it was therefore ignored to preserve that person and their usefulness to the IUC at the time. Because there was a lot of that going on at the time, you know, there was a lot of um, that kind of protection of sources and a protection of informants in various different guises. And yeah, so he, he his kind of supposition was that it was potentially possible that whoever was responsible for this crime might have been an intelligence asset and that might therefore explain the lack of investigation into the crime. A lot of time has passed. There was so little evidence collected at the, at the time. There was so little interest at the time. So many people alive at the time have passed on. Rosalind herself would be 80 if she, if she had have survived. I suppose it's so hard to imagine that something more will emerge about this. So what do the family want, really? Well, that's a, it's a good question. Uh, and we discussed this when I met with uh, Rosalind's sister, Kathleen. What they want at this stage is the answers to, to, to questions that are possible. And by that, I mean they want to know why the police didn't look into this crime because they're more likely to get answers to that question than they are to get justice for Ros Rosalind. Uh, they are keenly aware of the passage of time and that with each passing year, week, day, the likelihood of anyone coming forward for this crime decreases and the likelihood that any new evidence will come to light decreases. So when I was speaking to Kathleen, she told me she, that she doesn't feel that her and her family will ever get justice. She said she's lost hope that they will ever find out what happened to Rosalina O'Kane and why, but she she would like, and they would like some answers as to why it wasn't properly investigated, why it was handled in the way it was by the IUC. So that seems to be what they are driving at primarily because they don't feel like there is any possibility left for them to get justice. And the thing that stood out to me that really struck me um, and that I couldn't shake, to be honest, was when speaking to Rosaline's sister, Kathleen, she is still living in fear. She's still persecuted by this crime. Uh, she was unwilling to speak to us so openly in terms of being pictured uh, in the newspaper because she lives in the fear that Rosaline's killer may be standing next to her at the bus stop or be queuing up with her at the post office or walking past her on the street uh, because the suspects identified at the time were from the area, North Belfast area. And, yeah, I just found that an absolutely mind-blowing thing that uh, 50 years on, that this this woman and her family are still have this, you know, huge shadow cast over them by this crime, and it dictates what they're able to do in their daily lives. John, there's so many unsolved um, murders uh, and other incidents. I mean... The judicial review came about as a result of, of Rosaline's family, um, you know, campaigning for that or through the solicitor, I take it. Yes, absolutely. The family are dogged in their pursuit uh, of answers. They've, they've never let it go. Uh, and they kept pushing, pushing and pushing. And eventually they won leave for this judicial review into the police handling of the case. 
and a high court judge who who handled it, Mr. Justice Humphreys, was absolutely scathing in his in his uh, assessment of the police handling. He called it shocking and disgraceful, which is very strong language for for a high court judge to be using. Uh, what happens flowing on from that judicial review is sort of unclear, really, at this stage. One would think that it would require the PSNI to to reopen the case and properly reinvestigate it, but that it isn't clear whether or not that's going to happen yet at this stage. The PSNI say they are still digesting the findings uh, of the of the High Court, and that they will once they've once they've properly done that, they will set out a plan for how they're going to move forward with this case. We've discussed the police response. Um, but I'm just wondering about uh, in terms of the reaction in the media and in the in the public, and especially in North Belfast, was there was there a, a reaction to this at the time? Yeah. Was this? Not really, uh, because of the the nature of what was happening in in Belfast and in Northern Ireland at the time, it kind of went under the radar because so many people were dying, so much chaos that um, unfortunately Rosalind's family were left standing alone trying to find answers uh, which one can only imagine how difficult that has been for them over the last 50 years and continues to be because they're still still searching John Turner thank you very much thank you Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, the Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.